As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest foray into the listener questions mailbag. On today's show, we're talking about the MLS playoff format. We're looking at the 2024 Olympic roster and we're asking big questions about small shin guards. Hmm. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to listen a question with you, my friends, it's Taylor <laughs> Rockwell. Hello. I didn't know where I was going with that one, Taylor. Oh, no, it, it didn't come across at all. Uh, hello, Ryan. Good to be here. <laughs> Very good to have you here, Taylor. Joining us to listen to listener questions and then allow you to listen to his thoughts on listener questions, Graham Ruffin. Hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Quite the quite the introduction there. How are you? Did you have a, a good time seeing John Mayer the other night and singing along to all those big John Mayer hits that I definitely know the names of? Good time, yes? Not John Mayer fan then, Graham, huh? I just, I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know anything about him, Ryan. It's, I feel like in America he's a big, he's a big star. In the UK, <laughs> like who did, did, he, did he used to go out with someone or be married to someone or someone he, famous? Uh, many, a myriad of Several. people. Yes, yes, yeah. many people in in the in the uh, catalogue there, Graham. Graham but... Right. Little known fact, he, you dated John Mayer briefly. Yeah. I oh. believe that that is how I many people about he was that. in relationships with. Yeah, he had yeah. a song called "Your Body Is a Wonderland." He wrote it about you, Graham. Oh I think. yeah, specifically you wearing a kilt at the time. As, as <laughs> well, a few people have written that song about me before, so yeah, I remember John Mayer's version. There you go. Uh, joining us, you just heard his voice, uh, Joe Lowry. How do you feel about John Mayer? Uh, I am about as neutral as one could be about anything about John Mayer. I'm just distracted. I guess listener questions is a verb now, and I'm kind of into that. I am. Uh, I'm into this, Ryan. I- I'm a fan. Good and good. Good listener question unto you, Joe. Uh, and to you, Taylor. And to you, <laughs> sir. A merry listener questions to all and sundry. Uh, before we get to our listener questions, uh, uh, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show for our bonus content. Lots of videos going up, I say, as Joe opens up his water bottle and takes a swig on mic. Nicely done. Um, yeah, bonus episodes, <laughs> bonus videos there, and our Discord. Access the thing was, Discord. Ryan, I was going to edit that out, and so no one had to know, but now I have to leave huh? it in because you brought it up, and I don't want to make you seem like a fool. Um, so I'm actually doing you a favor now. You're welcome. No, cut it out. I want to make Ryan seem like a fool. <laughs> cut it out. What water bottle, bro? There's no water here. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my gosh, I'm losing my mind as we speak, listener. There was no water bottle after all. Uh, anywho, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. Excellent banter like you just heard over the last few seconds to be found there indeed. Um, a bonus question I wanted to squeeze in at the top here, Graham, before we start our listener questions from Travis Mitchell, who says, after watching the Beckham doc, who is more hated in England, Diego Simeone or Chiellini? I don't even want to say his first name. I'm going to say it's Diego Simeone, actually. I think the Chiellini yeah. thing is more of a personal Ryan Vendetta. Um, oh, there are his- historical reasons why uh, Argentina are disliked by the uh, the English in general uh, on the soccer field. Also reasons why the Argentinians don't like the English. Like That is a, um, painting it in one direction traffic there, I feel like, Ryan Bailey. Okay, uh, but the I think you've, got, in, you've, got, you've got a house in the Falklands, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I do indeed. Uh, Diego Simeone, I think, is definitely the answer. Though. More of a villain. I would say 
even though, Graham, I would say that what Chiellini did on the field uh, at Wembley was more egregious than what Diego Simeone did, i.e. ham up being kicked, <laughs> whereas Chiellini actually horse-collared someone. See, the thing is, most people in England have completely forgotten about the Chiellini horse-collar thing because losing the final was like a bigger a bigger blow to those people. But, as we know, Ryan actually cares more about etiquette rather than the actual <laughs> result of, of the match. So he is uh, he's still holding on to that one. Also, Ryan doesn't live in England anymore, Graham, so you can amend that most to no one in England remembers that Chiellini <laughs> horse tackle. Do, who do you... Oh, never mind. It's Torsten Frings. I was going to say who's the least popular player from another national 100%. team. It's either Torsten Frings or Rafa Marquez. It's I, one of the that other. That was the next one I was going to mention. Yeah. yeah, I think those are yeah. in the top two. Ryan, I, th- I think it's all about the occasion, for sure. It's a World Cup versus the Euros. People are yeah. going to remember the World Cup more. Also, it's been longer, and so it has had more time to sort of stew and be a part of major Netflix documentaries, so that also is a helping hand. I think also Simeone also lives by the poop house sword, uh, and he still does to this day, so I think he's probably uh, disliked for that reason, or celebrated in some circles as well for that very reason. Graham cheering as I say he's celebrated for his poop housery. Boo to you, Graham. Let's move on <laughs> to the next listener question from Paul Nichols, who says, what three realistic over 23 players would you pick to be on the roster for the Paris 2024 Olympics and why? Taylor, who and why? Sure. I'm just going to need a second to shake off the imagery of a poop house sword, which is a new one that Ryan has thrown at us as well. Uh, Snow I- euphemism. I have I have one player on here that I think would be interesting for seeing where he is in his career purposes, and then two people who I have a different take on. So the first one would be Josh Sargent. I think it'd be interesting to see him brought in and sort of being the the main man up top to be that kind of central figure. And I think it also thrusts him into a spotlight a little bit in a way that he probably wouldn't be with the national team right now, the senior men's national team, that is. And I just think it would be a nice opportunity for him to get that call up, get an opportunity uh, in front of a global audience, and then we see how he performs. And then the other two, slightly more controversial maybe, but I think it could be cool to see these two brought in and see how they fit in with a younger squad, to see if they if they like shirk the responsibility, if they turn down the call up. But my other two would be Zach Steffen and John Brooks. And I think John Brooks is one that many, many people uh, on Twitter <laughs> have talked about as being uh, worthy of a recall, and he should be back in the plans. I have to believe that there are personality issues involved there is maybe some other off-field stuff going on with him and so I think having him come back in and prove that he's willing to play with a bunch of younger players and to be a veteran player for them I would assume that he would start at that level so to get starting minutes for the Olympic team and to be a leader could maybe prove that he deserves additional call-ups to the senior team and then for Zach Steffen it just feels like he's not going to get many looks with the senior team right now so to give him a chance uh, in the spotlight of the Olympics works for me. I, I love those picks, Taylor. I'm, I'm down with all three of those picks, to be honest. Stefan a little bit less than the others, but but still all fine. I think it is kind of a hilarious re-entrance for John Brooks into the national yeah. team program. Yeah. Like, hey, mm-hmm. we know that sort of during World Cup qualifying, maybe something happened or something didn't, and you're no longer really a part of this team. Uh, but maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But instead, why don't you come play with our youth team instead? That that seems like a good spot for you. Well, yeah, I... I Reading between the lines of the way this has been covered, I, I still think that there was some behavioral stuff going on but I also think he is a guy who wants to start and if he's not starting he's the dude who's on the sidelines complaining about like I would have done that that guy's not good enough I'm better than that guy that's the vibe I get is that he was not okay with not being a starter and so if they're not going to guarantee him a starting place or if others are ahead of him to use Jurgen Klinsmann's favorite phrase uh, then he's going to be on the bench and if he's on the bench he gets mad so I feel like this could be an opportunity for him to not be on the bench but have to humble himself a little bit and see how he responds and maybe he would say no I'm not playing for the Olympic team and then it's an opportunity spurned and then we can move on but I feel like it's a way for him to get to start for a team but yeah then also to have to kind of uh, build back up from a lower level. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. I totally see the reasoning there. Uh, In terms of my players, before I I give my three, and Josh Sargent is one of them, by the way, it's sounding a little bit like it's not impossible for us to see, you know, one or two of of the real U.S. stars at this tournament. So Christian Pulisic is 25, by the way, which shook me to my core. Did not realize he was 25. Weston McKinney, also 25. So they're both over the age of the the mostly Olympic eligible players, you get three overage players. So those are our players that are over 23. So both of those players would fit that distinction. If one of them wants to go and they can work it out with their clubs and they're not dead tired after the Copa America, should the U.S. get there after this next month, 
I think they're going to get to go. So that is sort of one thing I wanted to mention as a as a light possibility. I didn't really think that was going to be a thing, and it sounds more and more like you know maybe it will be. But still, for the purpose of this question from Paul, my picks, which are are really based off of weak points in that U23 player pool for the U.S., Cameron Carter-Vickers is one pick. You're welcome, Graham. Uh, center back Woo. is a problem for this team. And so you went with Brooks, which I think is is great. That's fine. I went with CCV. I think CCV might be the slightly better player at this point, but I'll admit I haven't watched a ton of John Brooks footage recently. So I'm not 100% sure on that. But that sort of gives you a, a regular starter at center back. Then I look to George Mihailovic as another player. Sort of similar to you, Taylor, with your, your sergeant reasoning of, you know, things just haven't been going great. And things actually were going well for Josh Sargent before that ankle injury. And now he's going to be on the sideline for who knows how long. George Mihailovic goes from Montreal to the Netherlands. His move hasn't really worked out. There's rumors of him maybe wanting to go back to Chicago and, and hoping that that's a better stable spot for him. He, I, I don't really know where he's at at this point in his career. And because we have seen him play at a fairly high level as both a midfielder and a winger, I think he brings really nice flexibility to what is going to be a small squad. And he is just a guy that I think could use this little boost in his career. So, uh, Joe, targeting the realistic part of Paul's question, uh, is the reason we're going not going for Pulisic, Way and McKinney simply because of player load, simply because of uh, uh, game loads, I mean, and, and the Copper America being that summer as well and being conscious of that, or more the stature of the competition itself? No, it's it's more the fact that the Copa America is right before, but I, I do think the stature of the competition has something to do with it. You know, a lot of these guys, the Olympics is is not the same as the World Cup. It's it's not the same as the Copa America. It's very clearly the second tournament next summer. But you think about all these players, Tim Weah is too old. Weston McKinney is too old. Like Tyler Adams is too old. Pulis they're all all these guys are too old. It's Musa, it's Pepe, it's Balogun, it's Reyna. Like those are the the main young guys. And so, you know, technically we could see those players. But the timing is tough after the Copa America, right? You know, butting up against the start of the, the European season. So it's not an easy logistical puzzle for Greg Berhalter and Marko Mitrovic to sort out. But yeah, that those are the reasons why we look towards some of these slightly less heralded national team guys. Yeah, and thank you for asking that, Ryan, because that is a point that I probably should have driven home uh, when I first started answering this one. But I totally agree with Joe, and I think we are... There's a 0% chance in my mind that a club would let their player go to the Copa America and then the Olympics. In the past, when we've seen more veteran senior players play in the Olympics, it's somebody like Neymar when Brazil is hosting. And he skips the Copa America centenario to then play in the Olympics. And so I think you'd have to choose one or the other. And in this situation, I don't see many players being like, you know what? This is my lifelong aspiration to play in the Olympics. I feel like much more likely is that the U.S. wants their senior team playing meaningful minutes and meaningful competitions because they're not going to have World Cup qualifying ahead of 2026. So the Copa America with a full senior team makes a lot of sense to me. It's also why um, I didn't have CCV in mind because I feel like he could be at it's that possible. level where he is, yeah. if not a starter, then one of those backups. But I think it's still the smart shout, Joe, that if you're not going to guarantee him some number of minutes or he's not maybe as likely if he's going to be a third choice center back or something in that roster then send him to the olympics where he can be a veteran and a leader and a starter why not indeed graham you got picks for this one so i felt like i was kind of lacking context on what is realistic and what isn't so i'm i'm, I'm happy for the context that's been uh, provided so far otherwise i i would have just guessed it would be a process of the manager calling, like having a list hmm. of the best players from one to a hundred and just calling number one. Do you want to come to the Olympics? Okay, no, put you down for a no. Number two, do you want to come to the Olympics? Okay, I'll cross your name out as well until we get someone that says yes. Um, but I did come up with, with, with three names. I looked through past Olympic squads and looked at a and tried to establish a pattern of the kind of experienced players that would get called up and what I settled on was generally an experienced player who maybe isn't a key figure for the senior nas national team but they are in the picture maybe they're a rotational option or a second choice so the three I've gone for uh, uh Jordi Mihalovic I've got him Joe in, in my three for all the reasons that you said feels like he could use the minutes and getting back into a national team camp would would benefit him uh Hadji Wright World Cup Qatar World Cup icon Hadji Wright <laughs> I was close to picking Josh Sargent but I felt like Sargent might be kind of involved in the potentially involved in the in the Copa America feels unlikely that Hadji Wright will be in that pool probably on the bubble and then third I've gone for Walker Zimmerman for no other reason than I want to see him I want to see how he fits into like one of those cardboard beds that they have at the Olympic Villages <laughs> oh. like that, that six foot three Walker Zimmerman in one of those beds is going to be interesting I thought you were going to say because you wanted to see him uh, living that Parisian lifestyle in the cafes and uh, on the fashion parades Graham 
See, the thing is, Walker Zimmerman is a man of, of, of many kind of cultures. Yeah. I think of him as like a, a Viking and a Bass Pro Shop yep. kind of guy. But I can also, <laughs> with some tweaking yep. and a little bit of styling, I've, I can see him as like a Parisian gent. That, that could work for him. Yeah. I think so. Cosplaying as a Parisian gent is a is, is is certainly a look. You you make lots of best best pro shop references, Graham. I enjoy that very much. It's one of my favourite stores because it's got a big fish tank in it, and I like those. Yes, the yeah. the one that I I've been to had like a a big yeah. waterfall in it. It's quite incredible. Uh, anyway, thank you, Paul, for that question. Let's go to Gerald Schwerdfeger, who says, "Do shin guards or shin pads, if you will." actually prevent injuries if so why aren't they required to be bigger to maximize protection and if not what are players required what why are players required to use them excuse me um joe i would say anecdotally speaking playing without them can be very painful and i personally don't understand the fashion for smaller shin guards i think i feel my, oh, maybe this it's is cooler there's, that, is that's, it though? That's, you see like fashion is the right word there in a literal like, there's sense. no practical yeah. reason but it looks cooler okay Sure. Is that a reason to have smaller <laughs> ones, though? Because I, I feel, is it generational? When I was younger, I feel like I certainly had the big ones that even had the ankle protectors on them as well. Because <laughs> you were in and England, right? had, That's why. Everyone had those because... Did you have yeah. a gum shield as well and, like, a pair of check cap? Well, the kind of agricultural games I would play in is maybe as a teenager that you kind of required those kind of I, things. And I, yeah. I feel like they've gotten Ryan, smaller were you smaller playing rugby? over the years. <laughs> Uh, Maybe I'm right. confused. I will come to Ryan's defense because I will I will say the exact same thing. So much so that I was desperate when I was 13 years old to just get to wear the shin guards, shin pads, and not have the ankle protector. Ryan, I would agree. I think if my daughter or daughters, soon to be daughters, uh, want to play soccer Ayo. at a young level, they will play with ankle guards because kids don't know what they're doing. They're gonna step. They're gonna like. There's gonna be collisions, and I think the more protection, the better. So I think when you're younger. I think the bigger, the better. That's a good idea. And then I think the lower levels. I think when I'm playing lower level amateur soccer, there are going to be, I believe you would call them agricultural challenges. And I think you want that protection in place. So I think there are definitely reasons to have them. I also agree with Graham that th there is almost a like hilariously small level of shin pads where they're like three inches tall and they barely do anything but and i think some of that is bravado of like you can't even catch me i'm too quick i don't even need these because no one's going to be able to make contact with me combined with uh they do look cool i think there is also maybe an argument that that type that style of shin pad shin guard uh just gives you more flexibility gives you mobility i do feel like the ankle guard just slows you down it feels clunkier to me so i think that is why maybe people opt for those i kind of split the difference and go somewhere in between i think my shin guards are like six inches long i would say uh and they definitely do plenty so i i think it should definitely be mandated that we have to wear uh shin guards at all times at all times not even in soccer just all times i'm <laughs> wearing mine right now did you guys there not we go. Thank get you, the memo Joe. yeah i anticipated yeah. this this decree yeah you never know when you're gonna get two footed walking down the street <laughs> or recording a podcast as it turns out so yeah. I, I read a couple of studies about this they they pretty much all agreed that shin guards may reduce the number of minor injuries so i mean a minor injury is still an injury like somebody sly tackling into your leg and, and you getting scratched up or you getting bruised that's a real thing they also agreed though that they're not likely to help you with fractures or more serious leg injuries if somebody's coming in to break your leg it's, it's not likely that your shin guard even the sturdy ones are going to do a whole lot on that. And I think that distinction might be why players wear them. Like you, you, you comply them, you wear them to comply with the letter of the law, excuse me. But the players don't, maybe they don't like how they feel or it distracts them or Taylor, I think your point about the mobility thing might be a real thing, even if it's more mental than anything else. Or they just don't think it's going to save them from an ACL injury, which it's not. Or they're not going to save them from a broken leg and it's not. And they've had their legs scratched up enough times that they just don't really care anymore. So I would say most players don't really seem to care about shin guards at this point in 2023, but we do get things like headlines, like is Nabi Keita wearing AirPods as a shin pad out of this whole situation? And yes, it really did look like Nabi Keita at one point for Liverpool had an AirPod case in his socks. Apparently he did not, but um, you know, players are, players are stretching the limits here. What, were they flesh colored AirPods like John no, Herdman? Not that I could tell, but I think it's safe to assume that they were. Yes, Graham. Right. I just want to say, you haven't played pickup or like amateur soccer until you've used cardboard as shin guards because you forgot yours and so, you have to like shove those in there and away you go. 
I was going to ask, did anyone use newspaper? I use newspaper. Like like a, you'd fold the newspaper or a magazine yeah. and you'd stick them down there and that would be your shin pads. I, I, I have genuinely a number of times. Goal style from the movie Goal pulled cardboard out of a trash can because I forgot my shin pads and the ref wouldn't let me play. So I had to figure something out. But then the problem is cardboard is thinner than you think it will be. And I had to fold it over three times to make it look mm. even something like a shin pad. Um, I would also add for what it's worth. From my very limited experience of playing American football, this is also not unique to soccer. I remember uh, football players, you have to wear certain pads. It's part of the rules. And so, like, especially hip pads, receivers would cut them down to, like, 20% of their usual size because you don't want giant bulky hip pads if you're a person who has to be mobile and agile. So I think it is definitely a thing across sport of cutting down some of that weight, cutting down some of that bulkiness, maybe to your own physical detriment. Okay. I wonder, Graham, uh, whether fashion will come around again and Jack Grealish in 10 years' time will have <laughs> shin pads that go up the entire length of his legs, like uh, like suspenders or so- stockings or like something. Suspenders. Yeah. Like, keep, they're, they're so stiff that his like, legs are rigid. Yeah. He like, can't move yeah. his legs. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, feels, that feels practical. The thing, that, the thing about shin, par, shin pad fashion that I don't really understand is, so while I would wear, I was never really one for the big shin pads. I would always wear kind of wee small ones, but they would always have like Velcro straps around the back so they would stay on your leg. It's now fashionable for one, players as they're coming off, as they're being substituted, to stop and take their shin pads out of their socks before they get off the pitch. And when they do that, you can see there's absolutely nothing like keeping them strapped to their legs. They're just in the sock. So yeah. like mm. that must be like uncomfortable no like having a shin pad just shifting around your sock it does if you wear tight enough socks it doesn't that's how i wear them i don't have velcro ones i just have ones you slide in and slide out they make sleeves that you can put on and then slide the shin pad into to hold it in place because i know some people myself included don't love when the velcro doesn't like meet perfectly and so you've got then velcro rubbing up against your leg for 90 minutes that's even less fun Mm. but the sock is a sleeve right that's what I'm saying. So you can, yeah. if you wear tight enough socks, it will hold it in place. But and Jack Grealish, of course, has massive calves, so you know there's, <laughs> that keeps it in place. Yeah. So like Kyle Walker needs to cut holes in the back of his socks because his shin pads are so uh, so. Uh, Do we think Kyle Walker knows how to cut a circle? I don't know. Seems. seems <laughs> well, like he what happened hey. there was he was trying to get his foot into the sock, and every time yeah. he's just putting holes in them. Wow. Oh no. Put, put my foot in the wrong place. Kyle Walker with the safety scissors. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Give him his um, proper title. It's Dumb Kyle Walker. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was implied That's, in this case. <laughs> it, was, it was indeed. All right, let's, uh, let's park this question. Thank you, Gerald, for that very much. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're talking about Leon. Leon. John May reference for you there. Back shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. We go now to Nathan Clark's question. What has happened with Leon? I'm not going to sing it this time. After nine league matches, they have a mere three points in League R for a club who has past success and whose women's side is dominant. What has caused this run? Taylor, as noted, they are bottom of League R. Uh, Interesting to note they have American ownership. John Texter of Missouri is their owner at Lyon. He also owns part of Crystal Palace and Botafogo, one of my favourite clubs to say out loud. Also, he owns Fubo TV, the means by which Total Soccer Show watches its games. And therefore we love him, yes. Yeah. Uh, But how about Lyon, Taylor? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, so it depends on when you want to start this. You could go back... A decade, maybe even more, but I think we I'm gonna keep it more recently. It is John Texter coming in and taking over majority ownership. Uh former president Jean-Michel Aulas seems like did not love that that is how that went down. So Textor replaced Aulas as Leon president in May. But I guess because of agreements and because of what Aulas has done for Leon, he's built that club back up. He's been there for like 36 years, I believe it is. Uh he was given, I believe, a three-year honorary chairman title which doesn't seem to be very honorary because it seems like he is still very much involved in some of the decisions and then he is also uh guaranteed certain compensation which he said he was not getting so then that became a public feud where he was uh like he held up transfer activity before any money could be spent he wanted to get his finances sorted and it just feels like there's a lot of backroom issues front office issues and that has bled into the team on top of that the team has had to sell a lot of players. They sold over 100 million euros worth of players last year, and then seven players left on free transfers, including talents like uh, Hussein Awa going to Roma. So they've just lost a bunch of talent. In the past, they could rely, rely on a very strong academy and good scouting and sort of consistency in approach and management to bring all that together to elevate the team. And now they basically don't have that. They've, they've cycled through managers. They don't have the consistent ownership and they don't have that kind of vision from the top down that they need. They've been selling players. The academy is still developing, but I think not at the rate and not fast enough to replace some of the people they're losing. So just a bad time overall. Yeah, they made the, the Champions League semifinals, what, like three years ago? I think that was that weird COVID season where oh, wow. um, all the teams were in Yeah, 1920. Lisbon. Yeah. Yeah, so so three <laughs> oh, years ago. I thought you were saying actually 1920, Joe. Sorry. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Ah, yes. <laughs> 2019 and 2020. <laughs> Thank you. That that was the, Sp- the Spanish flu Champions League season, I think, Joe, 1920. <laughs> um, but yeah, Leon made the Champions League semifinals three years ago. And if you look at their squad... From that that semi-final, only, is it, is it three or four? Um, I can't remember. Three or four, anyway. It's a small number of the entire squad are still at Lyon. So that that is an incredible level of turnover. And of course, Lyon are a, a selling club, or they have been over the last kind of 10, 15 years. Um, but to lose that many players, and, and, and 13 players left the club um, from that, that Man City team, uh, that the, the team that beat Man City three years ago, they got 72 million euros for those 13 players combined. And 42 million euros of that was Bruno Gomares, who joined Newcastle. And it quickly became apparent that he was probably worth at least double that in, in, in today's market. So they have made some bad decisions like le- letting Memphis Depay leave on a free. Moussa Dembele was another who was apparently like a 30 to 40 million euro striker. He leaves on a free to go to uh, Saudi Arabia. This summer, some of the players that have come in, so Amon Saar, uh, Roman Favre and Jafinho were apparently meant to be like the big 
signings. They spent like 35 million euros on, on those players a couple seasons ago, but two of them have already left and Jafinho is barely involved in this team. And then other players that have come in like Lovren, Jerome Boateng, who comes from Bayern Munich, you would think would have been successful there, hasn't been successful there. Coletta Carr comes from, I think, Southampton, hasn't really made much of an impact. They've had six managers in four years. Uh, Fabio Grosso replaced Laurent Blanc earlier this season. And Grosso did a great job at Frosinone, and in Italy he was kind of regarded as one of the best young up-and-coming managers. He's had barely kind of uh, any kind of impact as well. So, yes, the financial issues are certainly a factor. They've got a lot of debt linked to the construction of their new stadium, which opened in 2016. Uh, Textor has talked about either selling off the stadium entirely or or, or like 40% of the ownership of the stadium. They've, they've talked about selling, well, rain in the NWSL as well. That, that option has been explored. But as Taylor mentioned, that's kind of trickled down into the front office and the front office doesn't seem to be doing a great job at the moment. To go back a little bit further, Taylor, you mentioned, you know, we could go back a decade or even more. Alas becomes president of Lyon in 1987. And at that time, they're in the second tier. They haven't won Liga before. Alas wanted to make the club something special. So he writes off their debt, gets them promoted to the first tier, and then they finish fifth after a couple of years in the top flight. Then they finish no lower than third from 1999 to 2011, which is a pretty impressive streak, and then no lower than fourth from 99 to 2019. So they finished no lower than fourth in the top flight for 20 straight years. They win the title seven times in a row from 2002 to 2008, and then right around that time, a little bit later, Qatar take over PSG, and that completely changes the league landscape. So I don't think this is necessarily where Nathan's uh, coming from, but Lyon have fallen from grace for a couple of different reasons. One is PSG existing in their current form and taking over and completely outspending everybody else in Ligue 1. The other reasons, a couple more that haven't been discussed, and there have been plenty that have been discussed. Alas names Juninho, sporting director in 2019. He goes on to say, uh, that's a former Lyon player. Alas later goes on to say, I made a mistake by giving him the reins when he wasn't ready at all. And so I think you can look at some decisions that were made both from Alas and then correspondingly from Juninho, he appoints former teammate Silvino, who I believe came up on this show recently. Is that right? What, what, yes. what was the reference to that? I don't remember what the context uh, was. Albania manager. Yep. He's there coaching, it is. Yeah. That's what it was. It's the international roundup. So, With uh, Zabaleta as his assistant. That's right. Squad. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, Joe. Uh, I, I had not remembered the Leon aspect of Silvino, and remembering that made me slightly less optimistic for Albania and uh, their opportunities in the Euros. It's it's just, Leon. we talked about Ajax. Leon right now are a chaos club. Like, they cannot seem to get out of their own way. Poor decisions that have been made, along with context of the league changing around them. And then I want to go one more layer deeper into that COVID season. It's the it's the Spanish flu season of 1920. And Leon, they make it to the Champions League semifinals. They beat Man City along the way under Rudy Garcia, but that league season in Liga was cut short. It was cut 10 games short due to the pandemic, which meant that they went and just projected the team's points per game rates and just gave them that many points. And so Lyon finished seventh that year and they missed out on European competitions for the following year for the first time since the 90s. And along with that means you lose revenue. And sort of around this time, the Liga's massive TV deal collapses and that hurts Everybody in Liga, it just hurts PSG less because they have unlimited money. But these other clubs then are, are feeling it. So Lyon start to sell players, which is not uncommon for them. Somebody said the term selling club, which is true. But this time they weren't replacing them at the same level. So during the title streak back in the 2000s, according to Transfer Market, Lyon only earned more money on transfer fees than they spent twice. So they were spending money and they were selling players off. But, but generally they were spending and spending and spending and trying to further their title streak. Now they have brought in more money via sales than they have spent on transfers more in the last seven years. They've done it every single year of the last seven seasons. They are not replenishing the talent in their squad, at least with veteran players that they're finding on the transfer market at the same rate. It's gotten pretty extreme recently as well. The gaps between the talent they're selling and what they're bringing in, it's it's sort of this cascading problem after problem after problem for Leon that goes back now several years but it feels like there's going to need to be some real strong leadership in place to solve this. And I don't know that that's there right now. Wow. Big changes needed at Lyon. Uh, one ray of sunshine for them, Taylor. Uh, John Texter, he made his money through virtual reality and augmented reality technology. His company <laughs> created the virtual two-pack secure that was at, Co- at Coachella like a decade ago. So uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, very interested in that technology, obviously. But what they could also use it for is to create like 
a, a virtual eleven of good players, maybe, or, or just or a just... virtual reality in which they're good. Yeah, we yeah. could go that route or as well. Or just put two pack up front. Or DMX, who I think is the one from Righteous Gemstones. That's an incredible scene uh, for the few listeners who are watching Righteous Gemstones. Uh, yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Just put out a hologram 11 and convince everybody that that's the real team. Did anybody, I know we're going long on this one, but I'm curious. Did anybody read about Texter buying the club? Because because Joe laid out, Alas has been there for forever and has spent money and has kind of built this club up and has invested in the women's side in multiple different ways. I, I couldn't figure out if he was forced out, if he was forced to sell, if he was sort of overruled, or if he has taken more of a back seat in recent years. I'm not quite sure what happened there, but that also feels a bit confusing. Well, I think Texter paid, what's the price? I've got it written down here, uh, 900 million euros for Leon, which was the highest that's, price that's ever paid for. Yeah, yeah for, <laughs> that was the highest price ever paid for a French club by a long, long way. And now the the kind of consensus is that was... That was uh, probably too much for the, the assets that Leon had, and, and that was overvalued. So it might have just been a case of Texter slapped a big wad of cash down on the table, and the shareholders at Leon just went, okay, yeah, we'll take that. Okay. Fubo subscription going up, maybe. We'll see about that one. Uh, <laughs> Nathan, thank you very but much. Not my for pay your... from them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your question, Nathan. Let's go to Ira Jersey. Hello, Ira. Uh, Ira says on a recent show, Joe yes. mentioned creating an open salary cap yes. for MLS. Joe, Joe is rubbing his hands with glee as I read this one. Uh, let's say MLS teams had a hard cap of $20 million. And let's say one team paid 18 players a million dollars a year and the rest the CBA minimum. And they play a team with three players making $5 million each and the other 20 players getting 250 grand. So in a series of 10 matches against each other, what record would Team Fairness get against Team Top Heavy? I'm guessing Team Top Heavy is the one with the players being played a lot of money, Joe. And now, now Joe, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this one to you because... There's one thing you love more than the prediction. It's a hypothetical prediction. So go ahead yes. with this one. Have fun. Yes. I actually, I actually do love this, Ira. This is a great exercise. And it's it's going to be, when I'm done in like two minutes and 30 seconds, hopefully, it's going to be, I think, a really good illustration of what you know folks, and, and I would count myself on this bandwagon, mean when we say, you know, let teams spend a bit more efficiently. You don't have to necessarily blow the financial doors off this thing. Although doing a bit of that would help, and, and that's certainly required here given some of the, the cap numbers. The current salary cap is just over $5 million, and so this would be quite a big increase, but it does take away the DP rule. And so teams now have spent more than this on their salary for a given season. Anyway, I love this exercise from Ira. I am curious to hear what others think. My answer right off the top is I think pretty clearly the 18 $1 million players, so team fairness, win this game seven times out of 10. They, they will win this the, the clear majority of the times. I went through and created little teams because in my head, these numbers don't really mean a lot. Like I don't, I don't necessarily know off the top of my head how much a, a, a $1 million player is contributing on the field or who those players are in Major League Soccer right now or a 250K player or whatever. So I went through and built little 11s and I'm gonna quickly rattle through them to then illustrate why I think that the fairness team is going to win. So I'll start with the $250,000 players with five of those like really designated players. Three of those DPs, excuse me, making $5 million. Three, not five. Martin Poss from FC Dallas in goal, making about $250,000. Good goalkeeper, Jalen Lindsay, serviceable fullback, Maurice Pineda, uh, Nick Depew, Cameron Harper across the back line, Cesar Araujo, Leon Flack as the midfielders. Then I'm going for a, a DP at the number 10 spot, so you can pick anybody there, really. And then Robert Taylor on the left wing for Inter-Miami and, uh, and and Finland, I believe it is. And then the right wing, I'm going for a DP, and striker, I'm going for a DP. So basically, it's a, a pretty average list of MLS players with three DPs. So Joe, that's I noticed... I noticed that you started off with like, he's a pretty good goalkeeper. He's a serviceable defender. And then the superlatives stopped at that point. And it was just I just realized players. this is taking way he's too Finland. long. Cesar Araujo is a very, very good defensive midfielder on a pretty good okay. contract for Orlando. Um, and, and he's probably the star of that team other than the DPs. But but again, it's, it's like a, a fine-ish MLS team that probably wouldn't make the playoffs. And then three really, really good players that would get them there because everybody gets in nowadays. The $1 million team... Uh, is a lot different than this. So in goal, you could go for Roman Berkey or Andre Blake. 
You got Julian Gressel at right back. You've got the union center back duo of Gleznes and Elliott in the middle of the back line. Kai Wagner on the left side of that back line. Andres Kubas, and you could pick other defensive midfielders as well, but he's really, really good for Vancouver. Edward Leuven as the number eight. Jao Paulo as another number eight. Those are legit superstars. Santi Rodriguez at the 10. Now that is maybe along with the other attacking spots, like the the lowest production and, and the biggest positional drop-off from the big team now to this fairness team. But Santi Rodriguez is a good young player. Facundo Torres on the left wing, Christian Espinosa on the right wing, and Aaron Bupenza as your striker. It's an all-star team. Like it's basically just an all-star team with a slight drop-off at the 10 and then seven more really good players ready to go off the bench. And so this is my point. Like this is what... I mean, when I say if you get rid of some of the roster buckets and allow teams to spread out the cash, instead of paying one Insigne, go pay like eight Jao Paulos, right? Imagine what you could do with a squad where you have a a more even spread of resources. So my answer is that the Team Fairness wins this game most of the time. Um, I don't know what you guys have to say, though. Yep, I'm right there with you, Joe. And I would even, to uh, I, I appreciate all the research you did. One thing that that made me realize, everything you said, like I'm not even sure with Team Fairness you need an actual number 10. I know that is the prevailing style of Major League Soccer or a, a thing that a lot of teams go for. But if you have consistent talent across the board and right. a lot of depth with it, it as well, you, you can do different things. You have totally. more opportunity to experiment. Uh, Joe, I had it as fairness wins six, top heavy wins two, and there are two draws along the way. I think team top heavy might get the early results because team fairness might need some time to figure things out, figure out how to play together, whereas team top heavy is get it to the DPs and see what happens. Um, but also, if I'm team fairness after that first or second game, I, I might go it a little bit hard on some of those star players and just see maybe if I can get them to pick up an injury or pick up a knock. And I think that is also a realistic thing. It might be cynical, but I think that's what teams will do is they will target those star players. They will play them very hard, very aggressively. And if one or two of them picks up an injury, now that team is in a lot of trouble. But but I think overall, team fairness has more variety in how they can play. And I think just the depth they would have would be the difference maker. Graham, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I've gone for Fairness FC over Inequality FC as well. I had to go through like the list. I mean, I didn't build an entire team like Joe did because, yeah, right. you know, I had stuff to do. But um, I did go through the salary list and and kind of look at what a $1 million base salary player looks like. And around that mark, you've got guys like, I'm looking at it right now, you've got like uh, Daniel Gazdag. That's pretty good value, certainly of last season. Like Kellen Acosta, uh, Lewis Morgan is in there. Christian Roldan is one point three million. So, yeah, I felt I felt better about having an uh, eighteen of those sort of players over. Well, actually, by the time you get to the top of this list, the value sort of wanes. So obviously, you've got Messi at the top on twelve million. He's out of our budget anyway. In, in Inequality FC, we're only allowed to spend five million dollars. But like Insignia is second. Nah. Shakiri's third. Javier uh, Hernandez, Chicharito is ne- is next. He'll be Hector gone. Herrera, yep. good. Hector Check. Herrera, I'll decent season. Yeah. Uh, Benteke, uh, sort of. Uh, Joseph Martinez is next. Like this is not a great list. This is this doesn't say a lot for front offices in in MLS when they're spending big. But you could hypothetically have different players of that caliber who you would choose, though, right? Yeah, but I'm struggling. Like, what, what, a five million dollar player here is like Hector Herrera. I take Herrera, okay, and then like Carlos Hill, maybe. Yeah, uh, Hani Mukhtar, three million dollars. Like, I guess that's good value. But I'm still taking eighteen one million dollar players over three five million. And, and I think, I'm glad I think, uh, oh, go ahead, Ryan, you go. I was just gonna say I'm glad we've reached the conclusion that fairness prevails, Joe. Yeah, it, it feels nice, and I think MLS is most likely as things change to find something of a middle ground here, right? And it's going to probably take several seasons if, if we see change at all. But again, the more and more I read and the more my ears to the ground, the more it feels like some change is coming. It's being talked about in, in more and more ways from people that know more than I do. I would imagine we're going to get a blend, right? Where MLS is still going to want teams to be able to sign Messi. They're still going to want teams to be able to go out there and sign these players that don't fit under the cap. And honestly, I think that's probably a fine idea for right now. But I think you also need to get rid of either get rid of some of the buckets or allow teams to spend more so that maybe you have a mix and maybe you have seven of these players that are on one million dollars. And then you have four or five of these high powered players that don't count in the same way against your cap. So it's going to take time. And I think the most immediate answer is probably somewhere in the middle of these two teams. 
Oh, I can have Jordi Alba and Chiellini in Fairness FC. They're on a million dollars. Chiellini's the captain that. of Fairness FC. Why is Chiellini in the Fairness team, Graham? That's not, <laughs> that's not logical. Well, that's subjective, Ryan. He's captain of, of Fairness FC, if you ask me. Oh, all right, I need to go take a rage break. Ira, thank you very much for that question. We'll be back very shortly with a couple more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. We go now to Luke Rindenecht. Hello, Luke. Uh, Luke says, love the show. Thanks, Luke. But I really got tired listening to you go on and on about how there are too many teams in the playoffs. Oh boy. Joe. Yeah. Point fingers. You, the, the royal fingers. you. <laughs> uh, in a league without relegation, says Luke, this is the only way the end of the season is exciting. In the East, there were four teams on 40 and one on 41 before decision day, and almost any of them could have made it into the playoffs. And you're telling me you want them to be out already due to less spots and for none of these games, these last games to matter until there's yes. relegation we need <laughs> we need this many playoff spots it makes the end of the season exciting um joe before you uh launch in i'm gonna make an analogy here and it's giving my children their dinner and quite often they have a treat after dinner it can be a piece of candy it can be a dessert now the, my my concern in my household, Joe, is that th the threshold to meet the treat is often quite low. <laughs> they know, they quite often know that dinner performance doesn't have to be great for them to meet the threshold of getting the treat. So in my house, I like to make the dinner performance better. So it makes, you know, it, it makes it all the, the more, more deserving of the treat. Yeah, absolutely. And the treat becomes more impactful. Do you see what I'm saying here? I, I think I do see what, you, what you're saying. <laughs> First of all, I love that illustration. And, and Luke... Uh, thanks for listening, first of all. Ryan said it, but we do appreciate it. And I, I do appreciate the perspective. Like, there is something to what is being talked about here. And I think Luke and even though I think we've made it pretty clear that we, we don't agree with this, and I'll go through and explain why in just a second. I think MLS has a similar line of reasoning. Like, keeping more of these teams engaged and involved in fan bases of these teams. Maybe Luke is a fan of the Chicago Fire or of, I don't know, Portland or whoever, right? You know, that has real value for fans of those markets. The question is, is it worth the trade-off, right? This is all a trade-off. Everything, every decision we make in life is a trade-off. Every competition or rule or guideline is a trade-off. And I don't believe that having this many teams, 62% of your league make the playoffs, is the only way to make the end of the season exciting. I don't, I do not believe that is true. Last year, with around a month left in the season, 13th place Chicago Fire 
was within seven points of the playoff line with four or five games to go. They were alive. Paul Tenorio wrote about that and has written about it several times. You will always get excitement on decision day. This year, there was actually more excitement than normal, and that's not necessarily a function of where the line was. It's just a function that a bunch of teams are close together in the standings at where they happen to set the line. Basically, if you don't just decimate the playoff field down to, say, four teams in each conference, you're going to get some excitement. So I do disagree with Luke here, but I, again, I see where he's coming from, that if all you care about is the last three weeks of the season and the playoffs and sort of what's happening there, then okay, maybe you want more of these teams to get in so that the, the stakes are slightly higher. The other part of this question, though, that's not actually in the question, but you cannot have the question that's asked from Luke without this, is, is this question. Does expanding the playoff field and keeping more teams in for longer justify weakening the vast majority of the regular season? That is the real question here. Whenever you add slots, and this speaks to Ryan's example, right? Whenever you add slots, you lower the bar. You take significance away from the regular season. And I believe the answer to that question of, is it worth it to weaken the regular season by this much and letting you know, everybody and their mom into the playoff field? I think the answer is no. The more leeway you give teams in the form of playoff spots, the less they have to play for in the regular season. You see less energy on the field. That's a real thing. The regular season games end up mattering less and teams don't care about them. Like players do not care about the biggest part of the season enough to go out there and put together a compelling product. And then MLS and the rules are a whole nother part of this. But I can understand the idea of wanting to keep more teams in for longer. Again, as a fan of one of those teams, I would want my team to be involved. But I cannot understand choosing to do that at the expense of the largest part of your product. It just does not make sense to me at all. So I'm not, I'm not buying this. I see where it's coming from. I think it's what MLS thinks and hopes their playoff format will do and will excite people. But I think it is, I think it's the wrong choice to devalue the regular season to this extreme when the playoffs are gonna be fun pretty much no matter what and you're gonna get the largest percentage of your audience tuned in at the same time in the postseason regardless of what the format is. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I'll retend all of that, Joe. And Graham, just to reemphasize, we want to make dinner better. We all, we all know the treat <laughs> is good afterwards, but we want to make the dinner better because the dinner is the main part of the meal, right? Yeah, I, I will agree with Luke that the, the having the playoffs like this makes the playoffs themselves better. It makes the treat better, Ryan, because you've got more room in your stomach to have the treat. This analogy is falling apart, but you get what I'm trying to say. It's not a solid. Um, I think having like more, what was it? Was it last season or the season before when RSL were spoilers and basically uh, made this unexpected run? every year run. since the dawn of time, Grim, is, is the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. But what, the, 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 the year when like they the, went to the Seattle. Ochoa and, one I think that was like, a couple yes, years ago. Yeah. yeah, and they don't shoot yeah, at all. The Ochoa yes. one in Seattle, right? So obviously those games, RSL, didn't, those games weren't particularly entertaining, but the, the storyline of RSL being spoilers and making an unexpected run was entertaining. So I think having more teams in the playoffs does improve the playoffs but you're right Joe it, it completely compromises the regular season I kind of feel like and I'm someone that definitely has more interest in MLS than your average soccer fan certainly over here in the UK but I tune in for like the first two three months of the season mm -hmm. where I get a feel of who are the good teams who are the teams that are going to be up there for MLS Cup and Sports Shield and so on and then over the summer, I kind of, I kind of tune out a little bit, and then I come back in for the last season, uh, the last month of the season when you get closer to decision day, and I feel like if you tweaked the playoffs and had fewer teams in the playoff, you would you would increase the interest over the whole season. I, I think Luke's the second part of Luke's question is really interesting. Until relegation, until there's relegation, we need this many playoff spots. That was the most interesting part of the question for me because I kind of. I can see that point of view. I, I do agree that playoffs, even in this format, are better than having 29 teams or whatever it is without relegation. This, this season, for example, would have been so boring if it, 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 it had just been like a straight league table with FC Cincinnati, runaway leaders from about July onwards. Everyone knows who's, who's going to win the title. And every other league around the world pretty much has two focuses, right? You have the title race and then you have the relegation battle. So even if one is sewn up, it's unlikely that the other one will be sewn up. And, and that's how everything is discussed. You see it on like news bulletins in Europe or in, in, in the UK. It's always, here's what, ha here's what happened at the top of the table and here's what happened at the bottom of the table. And so MLS in a regular non-playoff format would only have the one focus. Um, I know that's not really feasible that MLS would ever do that. So I do agree that having the playoffs this big keeps as many teams interested in the season, even if it doesn't keep neutrals interested in the season as a whole, if you can understand that point. 
Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And and Taylor, to to Luke in Luke's defence as well, the fact that Inter Miami were in it until quite late on, despite being rock bottom until quite late on in the regular season. There is some benefit in that when there is no relegation, because there is, if if they were eliminated with 12, 13 games to go, then that would be worse, wouldn't it? Maybe, but it's also like, we're only saying that because they signed Lionel Messi halfway through the season, and there are plenty of clubs that don't sign Lionel Messi halfway through the season, and then they're in the same position. It just feels like that's a specific incident of people wanting Messi in the playoffs, and so they write articles about how it's a shame he won't be there. But to me... That doesn't make it exciting. And I think it's interesting that when Graham was talking about that end of the season, it wasn't exciting. It was interesting. And I think that's true that some of it is interesting. But, Joe, we did the playoff uh, predictions yesterday uh, on the show and then on the Patreon. And like, I think you were the most optimistic about maybe like somebody like Sporting Kansas City could could get past sure. San Jose, then maybe spring a surprise against St. Louis. And that would be interesting. At the same time, I don't feel like those final couple weeks were exciting. I feel like it was sort of like, yeah, I mean, we'll see who makes it in. I don't know if they're going to do anything. Like, it's not as though, like, oh, they figured it out. They've caught fire. These two teams are battling it out. It it just felt very like, okay, let's get to the playoffs. And that's kind of what it feels like MLS has become. So today I learned that March MLS games are broccoli, I guess, and then the playoffs are ice cream cones. That's what we're doing here. Um, And I think I I, I agree with everything else that's been said already. I don't disagree with what Luke is saying. I think the problem is that if you're prioritizing everybody being able to make the playoffs the cost is that the beginning and the middle of the season don't matter and aren't really that valuable and for mls to have somebody like graham switch off for half the season because why would you stay plugged in if you're not unless you're like an active supporter of one team correspondent graham yep that's right that's what i'm saying like it's it's just it it's it's not (laughs) hopefully my editor is not listening to this (laughs) but i mean it's why people get frustrated i think it's why mls fans get frustrated that like the the like Seattle Portland Derby gets the headlines or El Trafico gets the headlines or like the the big teams quote unquote get all the headlines but it's because those are the teams that you know people will be like oh okay let me see what's going on in El Trafico when they haven't really been watching MLS because it's not the playoff run up and I, and I just think there are things that MLS could do uh, I've landed on they need to expand to 32 teams and then break into four divisions of eight teams uh, and then I have a whole structure for how that could work but I feel like even there if you let in half the teams four out of eight teams from every division into playoffs I think it could be fascinating I think especially if you got away from Eastern and Western Conference and went AFC NFC style where you had like like LAFC in one conference and the Galaxy in another and so then El Trafico games become that much more significant because they rarely meet I think you could build up a lot of excitement and anticipation in different ways but right now it just feels like everybody plays everybody but also not everybody plays everybody at the same time or in the same way and who knows let's just get to the playoffs and see what happens and that is not what I think a league is looking for the, I think the most interesting part of all this is is we've spent so much time and and clearly people like Luke who listen and think about this stuff too and I, mm-hmm. I love that spent a lot of time thinking about the playoffs. I think it's a massive red herring for the the biggest issue in MLS, which is that there aren't enough reasons for people to watch this league all the time. Like like MLS does not put out a product that is compelling enough to motivate the average soccer fan, even the average soccer fan living in the United States outside of one of their team's markets, to pay attention. There's a reason why MLS has gone and said, well, we want to keep all of these fan bases, these markets engaged for as long as we can, because they know that out here in Phoenix, people aren't watching MLS. They don't have a reason to watch MLS. And why is that? Why is that the case? It's because there's not enough quality on the field. Like if you want to talk about improving the MLS regular season, the playoffs aren't the problem. Ultimately, they are a symptom of the problem, but they're not the problem. This whole discussion is a symptom. It's not the problem. The NBA lets in a tons of lets in tons of teams into the postseason. The difference is they have good players. Like they have superstars. They have players that people want to watch. In MLS, those don't like there are five of them. There's Messi, there's Carlos Vela, there's Chicharito, there's Inci- like you can run through the list. There are barely any of these guys, and, and you can't replace Messi. You can't reproduce Messi. But when MLS starts to bring in quality into their league, this playoff discussion starts to matter less and less. Suddenly we don't care. If the ninth seed San Jose Earthquakes make the playoffs, if they've got three legitimate superstars on their team that are awesome to watch, like we still not might want to watch them quite as much as we want to watch LAFC and their eight superstars, but there's reasons to watch the good teams. It, it just doesn't make sense. Ultimately, and MLS is trying to solve problems that in some ways it's created for itself and in other ways have been created by, you know, rocky start to the league and seeing all of the 
the um, sort of separated European leagues where there's not really a lot of actual competition that happens at the top of the table. So there are some real and maybe some perceived problems that MLS is trying to solve. But the playoffs and the discussion about the format and how many teams should make it, it's all a red herring for the real problem in Major League Soccer, which is there isn't enough quality to force people to watch the league. And in the meantime, we're all trying to find the 1% or 2% kinds of things that will actually help drive interest when, you know, really it's it's more of a like a butterfly band-aid on a much bigger, bigger injury. It's a crossover episode now because now we need John Texter's AI hologram technology to just recreate Lionel Messi for every single team. And then we're good to go. If we get if we get uh, 29 Messies, one per team, I think suddenly things get way more interesting, Joe. There we go. What happens when there's 30 teams? Who do they get? Tupac. <laughs> Yes, they get Tupac, yeah. Uh-huh. They get Tupac. Texas, Sorry, Texas, we've got plenty of ideas. I feel, uh, like, thank he, you I very feel much. like if you gave him a year, he'd be good at soccer, Tupac. Get him away Wait, from that the island he's living on San Diego. and uh, give him some training. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. I thought it was Las Vegas for a moment there. I was thinking, what? Uh, Tupac's been to Las Vegas enough. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Luke, thank you very much for that question. Uh, let's squeeze in one more from Devin Matthias. No, you didn't says, love that, Ryan? Okay. I was trying to think of something vaguely appropriate to say. I couldn't I couldn't get there, Taylor. Correct. Um, <laughs> this one from Devin, real quick. Uh, for your favorite sport that isn't soccer, which USMNT player and non-USMNT soccer players do you think would most excel at that sport? For example, Graham may say Aaron Sue could fly around the tennis court and already has tennis player hair. Fact. I can totally see that. He, <laughs> yeah, he yeah. does look like That's a tennis perfect, player. Like, I hadn't seen that before, but he, he does. He does, yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, says Devin, uh, volleyball is the other favourite, and I think I'm going Tillman. He's uh, He's got hops, and Harland, who could probably jump up and block some shots with his feet if needed. Uh, Graham, I'm going to start the ball rolling with Matt Turner. For some reason, I think he is a distance runner. I think he's got the, the mechanics. I think he looks a bit wiry. I think he could be like, he could do some ultras. What do you think? Is he taking up running after he's won the World Series as a as a baseball? Yep, that's um, on my list. <laughs> baseball, what's what? A baseball guy, baseball, baseball player, baseball guy. That's it's, it's baseballman. <laughs> it's baseballman. Right, yeah. baseballman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's really good. You, you've seen that video, Joe, right? Yeah, yeah he's a homer for the Cardinals. That's incredible. Yeah, so maybe 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 he can be a, a runner after baseball. I had Matt Turner as a tennis player because the part the question like uh, Devin's question is if it's for your favorite sport other than soccer, that's tennis for me. Matt Turner, big server. I think he's a bit of a John Isner. Like I could mm. see that from him. I'm also um, like a big uh, looking at non-US players. I'm a big Greek. A wrestling fan and John McGinn I think would be a big Greek Sorry, Sorry, what? 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 Graham, what's that? <laughs> no I'm not <laughs> but I think John McGinn would be good at uh, Greek wrestling yeah he'd have the uh, the, the low centre of gravity yeah. I think would, uh, would work well for do him do you mean like Greco-Roman wrestling what do you mean Greek wrestling well, that's the thing isn't it I googled it to make sure before I put it in my notes <laughs> yeah let's say that wrestling like you know not like WWE like real that? wrestling Ooh. you get in the Olympics in, in a toga like what are we well, that's weird because I've also got Toga Honk in my notes, which apparently is was the biggest sport when the Vikings were around and Walker Zimmerman is a Viking. So I've got him down as he would be big in the Toga Honk world, which apparently is like a tug of war, but you've got to touch feet off off the ground while you're doing it. It looks very skillful. All right. <laughs> looks harder than soccer. All right, that's enough from Graham. Joe, what have you got? <laughs> Graham, were you sober when you answered this question just out of curiosity? Uh, I think I'd had some of Joe's cough set up. <laughs> oh, that's the good stuff, Graham. Um, Matt Turner was in my answer uh, as a fan of, of a team that's in the World Series. Um, right now, the Arizona Diamondbacks are playing in the World Series. If you guys hadn't heard, they're in the World Series. Uh, that's Matt not the Turner, brag you think it is in my world, Joe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't care. Uh, Matt Turner is on my list because he hit that homer um, in, in the St. Louis Cardinals stadium, I believe it was. That was an incredible moment from him. But baseball, even though I, I do enjoy a good game of baseball when the Diamondbacks are good at baseball, uh, the NFL is probably still my, my go-to second sport. And my answer is Tim Weah as a slot receiver. Ooh. I think Tim Weah okay. would be a fantastic... He's too small right now. He'd need to bulk up a bit, but... You know, the, the advantage of being a slot receiver is you don't have to be absolutely massive. He's really, really quick. We saw that in the last international window. And in the last international window, we saw a clip of him playing American football along with Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney. And I think Weah's body type is going to be best suited of those three for uh, for for a, a sort of a skill position role. So Tim Weah, slot receiver, is my guy. And then Adama Traore feels like the obvious answer. 
Uh, good sort of oh, goal yeah. line back. He's going to snag a couple of yards here and there. Might flare out into the slot a little bit, into the flat. So I can see that happening. I get a little Maurice Jones-Drew vibes from him. Just a little bit. Um, that's going to hit for like 12 people from Jacksonville who listen to this show. You're welcome. Uh, those are my answers for American football. Bortles, baby. Bortles. Uh, I also win American <laughs> American football, Joe. Uh, I had Matt Turner as a crazy Everybody's slow Everybody's got Matt Turner. I think, yeah. sorry, sorry. Matt Turner is a freak athlete. I didn't think everybody was going to have him on the list. Go on, Matt Turner. Go on. Yeah, he's he has got vibes of just being good at sports. Yes, you know how there are just so. people in college or uni or whatever that are just good at everything? I think Matt Turner kind of has those vibes. I bet he could do like high jump as well. Yeah, Matt Turner's got a lot of different abilities. I do think he'd be kind of a slow receiver, but I feel like hands like glue. You put him out there, you just put the ball in his vicinity, he's going to catch it. Eunice Musa, all action running back. Weston McKinney is our linebacker. And I had QB Joe as maybe Tim Weah because he's got the height and like he's six foot. He's got the speed. He's got the intelligence to develop his game. Wait, Tim Weah's six foot? And make some reads. Uh, so on, says, on so the says Google. In real life, maybe not so much. But yeah, we'll go Wearing cleats while standing on concrete. Yes, he is six foot tall. Um, but I think if I were going quarterback this will come as no surprise because my love for him is evident uh chavi alonso i feel like could be a, a pretty good quarterback if you if you schooled oh, him up yeah. i feel like the way he could he reads things the way he can spot passes and play through balls or could do all those things but then still kind of play conservative i feel like he would be a very good quarterback so let's get chavi alonso in there to to tutor tim way how to be an nfl quarterback Talking about Javi alonso did anyone see that video of him at Bayer leverkusen training sending the balls into like the striker to have the finish it was ridiculous he was doing this thing where the spin you know that way where like a professional soccer player they'll put spin on the ball and it almost looks like it goes one way and then it like turns back on itself to like to have backspin to to to, like land on the spot perfectly he was doing that over and over again it was ridiculous he could still play he can indeed we all love jabby alonso particularly taylor rocco on this podcast Yeah, yeah, right, right. I'm watching a video now. It's ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> what? Yeah. How is he doing that? <laughs> He's so good. We should probably put a link to that in the description uh, to make it clearer for listener. But that is the end of our listener questions. If you want to continue the conversation on your uh, favorite USMNT or non-USMNT soccer players who would excel at different sports, why not do it in our Discord, patreon.com slash Show, if you'd like to support us in that manner. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, um, hope we're not distracting you from watching Chabby Alonso videos. Thank uh, you very much. No, I'm done. But now my question for Graham is, Graham, do you think the problem there was that no one else could do that on the team? And in which case, why are they practicing it? <laughs> He was like, step aside, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it myself. <laughs> the Thierry Henry School of Management right there. There we go. Graham, thank you very much for your contrips as always, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Finish your dinner. I will indeed. Joe, treat time for you. Thank you very much, sir. <gasps> treat time for me is my treat. Graham saying more sports that he definitely made up because I'm into that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Enjoy. Nice. Toga honk. Look it up. <laughs> Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this journey. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! Bye!